Asher. She's a lovely girl, no bother. Yeah, no, thank you. And I really appreciate you, you know, putting her up and putting up with her, but look, obviously this can't be a, a long-term solution. Dev, don't worry. We've got more space than we know what to do with. Thank you. Well, I barely see her and Corey. The ships that pass by the fridge. Yes, I mean, is, isn't that a concern? What, at their age? Hardly. Last thing I wanted to do was hang out with the Rents. No, no, and I appreciate it. Well, this had better be good news, because right now you're all Log Jam Central. The talk of the street. 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 And welcome to episode 152 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that wonders just how much trouble one of us would have been in had he taken the Hope and Ruby's suitable step-parent quiz, Sam Gavin. Ah, and I'm fully vaccinated, baby! Baby? Not baby. biatch? Yes. <laughs> the double dunter. Yes. Two and done. <laughs> Quite a relief, really. Yes. We were just speaking about this before I hit record. I just, I have to wait until, I think I've got a couple of weeks. I think mine is the 16th that I get my second dose. Yeah, next the 19th. It was supposed to be the 13th, but they shifted him. Oh, really? Yeah. How did they do that? Because they might have shifted me as well then. Well, they texted him. Have you gotten any text saying that they've changed your no. appointment? Then you're fine. Phew. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. I'm genuinely looking forward to this. <laughs> now we just need them to open it up to 12 to 15 year olds and then we'll be all set. <laughs> Which Pfizer... blow this popsicle stand. Right. And Pfizer's proven already that it's safe for 12 to 15 year olds, so I don't know why they're dragging their feet. Even if it isn't safe, just, just try it. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, if it's safe for us. I'm sure it's it's safe. I mean, if they were like real little kids, maybe, maybe I'd be hesitant. Mm-hmm. But Steli knows for, who Pablo Escobar is for some reason. So they're practically adults. <laughs> what? You didn't see my Facebook post about that Father's Day card I made for my dad when I was a little kid. No. That I framed. And Steli was like, what's that? And I said, oh, that's your granddad. It's a Father's Day card I made for him when I was little. I guess I thought my dad was Freddie Mercury. Ha, ha, ha. And Steli said, more like Pablo Escobar. Ha, oh, wow. ha, ha. It's like we, we may need to remove her from the Netflix account list. Somebody speculated that she's been watching Narcos. And I was like, mm-hmm, that's what I'm, I haven't that's what even I'm watched at. Narcos. Which is weird because I, I really like uh, Pedro Pascal. So you'd think that I would have watched Narcos by now, but I haven't. I've watched one of them on the recommendation of John Welsh. Uh-huh. I can't remember if it was that one or another one, but it's something about some guy who just basically just flew cocaine into Florida. Uh-huh. That was as complicated as it got. <laughs> <laughs> and the feds just let him do it. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll get around to it. It was fun. <laughs> it was ridiculous, but it was fun. Yeah. 
And you only watched one episode, though, so it could have been that much fun. Uh, maybe watch more than one. <laughs> but it's basically the same story. <clears throat> I was telling people about my <laughs> shot in the dark uh, mini obsession last week. The shot in the dark on Netflix, which uh-huh. is a, a, I think a 10-part series right. of a group of three different um, uh, little family companies who all drive about Los Angeles at night chasing the news with their... Uh, with a cameras. So basically, Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie. Yes, yeah. somebody mentioned that yeah. Nightcrawler. Yes, I think they're um, swingers is, oh, Riz- or swingers or something like that. Probably yeah. swingers. Yeah, not swingers. Not swingers. Riz Ahmed but, is also in, night, in that Nightcrawler movie. So they, they tune into the uh, the the police bands, listen for basically accidents on the mm-hmm. the four or five or whatever. Right. They race it. They film it. They're competing against each other uh-huh. to then edit it and get it sent to the the news channels. Right. And they make a bit of money. So I'm sitting watching this and it's basically 10 episodes of the same thing. Mm-hmm. People chasing news. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder if I could do that if we relive. <laughs> so I'm looking up how much these cameras cost and right. they're like, like $1,500 or something. Well, that's not prohibitively expensive. It's very <laughs> expensive. It's not prohibitively so. And then I started tuning into the... Our local county. Oh yeah, uh, police scanner. The police scanner, and nothing happened for like fifteen minutes. And all of a sudden, we got a call that somebody had stolen a propane tank from someone's backyard using a forklift, and there was now a pursuit going on down Petreville Highway of some guy in a in a forklift with a propane tank. Were you listening to the scanners yesterday? Did you find out what no. happened yesterday? No. Oh, you totally should have done that. I know. But anyway, so that you're, was my. You're, you're more interested in. People stealing propane tanks with forklifts. It paints a picture, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah, it does indeed paint a picture. <laughs> Not quite Los Angeles where we live. No. <laughs> so that was my short-lived career as a slinger. You could probably Done and dusted. Head up to Lansing and do some slinging there, though. Jackson, I think, isn't it? If it wasn't for Jackson, there'd be no local news. Eh. Anyway, anyway. how have you been this week? Ah, well, you know, i fully vaccinated, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wasn't overly happy with the Oscars. That's, that's okay. an understatement. <laughs> you were fucking furious. I was fucking furious. <laughs> with the whole switching things around. Uh, and I disagreed strongly with... The documentary choice and with the international film choice. We were doing quite well in our little competition that we have every year. Of. Yeah, I still beat you. Yeah, but so you'd watched something. them. I hadn't watched any of them. <laughs> and you only beat me by one. You, you watched one of the shorts. and It you, was very good. It was very good. A it wasn't long. my favourite one. <laughs> and that's why I didn't vote for it. But yeah, it was a little long. But it was a heavy subject. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm happy to see... Awards going to things about... I should have finished with the gunshots. Yeah. Gun violence in schools and stuff, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and... I think it's kind of... I think this is... it. Yeah, I was really happy that I was able to watch all the international films and all the documentaries this year. But I kind of feel like maybe you shoot yourself in the foot because you you watch everything... And then you see awards going to things that the voters obviously didn't watch everything, mm. which we know is something that happens every year and stuff. I still haven't seen The Father. 
because I was I, I had this and I still have it mapped in my head. This this whole article. I even have a title for the article. Um, about this is what, something that you're going to write. Yeah. Okay. Which I probably won't, but I have it in written, your head. I have it written in my head, called the you know, what we mean when we say best, a- yeah. and it's a but, serviceable title, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's a work in progress <laughs> in my head. <laughs> But I really want to watch The Father and give Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins, an actor I do Sir love. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, that's not how he talks at all. No. That's not a Welsh accent at all. No, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> what was it meant to be? That's how he gets announced. <laughs> that's not how Joaquin Phoenix did it. And the whole like switching things around and doing best picture and then best actress and best actor, that was ridiculous because they did it for, you know... It it proves that the producers really don't know who's going to win. I guess that's a positive we get from this whole thing. But they had last year's Best Actress announce this year's Best Actress instead of last year's Best Actress announcing this year's Best Actor, mm-hmm. which I think would have worked well. I think Renee Zellweger would have saved that moment a little bit better than Joaquin Phoenix, who just looked like he did not want to be there. <laughs> He's basically, and the award goes to Anthony Hopkins. He's not here. Good night. Was basically what Joaquin did. Um, Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Well, apparently Anthony Hopkins wanted to uh, be on Zoom and the producers wouldn't let him. Yeah. So he went to his bed <laughs> in Wales. And somebody had said that he was there in London initially in the beginning of the night, but, you know... Wasn't there at the end because it was 5 a.m. He's 83 years old Mm -hmm. and there's a pandemic going on. Mm -hmm. And plus he wasn't going to win. Right. As far as he was concerned as well, don't think. As far as pretty much everybody on the planet was concerned, (laughs) including the producers of the show. And, you know, like I said, I haven't seen The Father yet. So I can't really say anything about Anthony Hopkins's performance. But I did see all of the other movies. And... um. Chadwick Boseman took an unsympathetic character, one of the most unsympathetic characters August Wilson ever wrote, and actually gave him some sympathy and gave him some humanity. And that was not easy to do, especially for someone who was dying of colon cancer while acting, while performing in that role. Um, Riz Ahmed learned ASL and how to play the drums. And also acted his ass off I in Sound of Metal. <laughs> Stephen Yen, born and raised here in Michigan, in the United States of America, had to learn Korean, was not fluent in Korean to play a Korean immigrant. And I think there's a lot of people who just assume because he's Korean American that he knew Korean already. And we're not going to get into the... No, we're, we're, we're racism of that assumption so i mean gary oldman can gtf but his man was horrible but and also just gary oldman is not the most likable person in the world sir anthony hopkins brilliant actor who has played many many brilliant roles in his career played a confused old man shall we preamble my dear <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> Give me some of that. 
potentially unfair, Corey News. <sighs> you better now. Uh, no. I won't even get into how Hollywood okay. portrays people with Alzheimer's and how it's not... Yeah, let's not let's nearly not as pretty as Hollywood makes it out to be. But anyway, um, <clears throat> last year I speculated a possible return for Catherine Tildesley to the cobbles. Turns out I was right. What? Kinda. Oh. The Eva actor was asked to return to take part in the Oliver storyline, which would have made sense, mm-hmm. but I had to turn it down due to commitments with Viewpoint. Oh well. Viewpoint. Yeah, she was on Viewpoint. Oh. She's on viewpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. She may be uh <laughs> She may be wishing that she just Yeah, she may be wishing that she just gone. Death. Yeah, yeah, because uh viewpoint's mm-hmm. been axed. Yeah. Thanks to uh <sighs> Yeah. Thanks to famous men continuing to disappoint me. But <laughs> and I know it's not about me. I was just trying to make light of a really horrible situation. And maybe that's <laughs> Not something I should do. But anyway, yeah, it would have been nice to see Eva back. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> if for no other reason than how you seem to struggle with Catherine Tildesley. <laughs> I don't know why I still want to call her Tildesleydale. That doesn't even make any sense. I think Is there a Tildesleydale? A letter writing campaign to make this a thing. <laughs> Come on, Catherine, just change your name. <laughs> it's not like you need it. Oh, that sounded harsh. I didn't mean it to be harsh. <laughs> We're both a little harsh this morning, aren't we? <laughs> I think it's my second dose of the vaccine. That's my excuse. I don't know what your excuse is. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> Former Curry star Matthew Marsden, who played Chris Collins on the show in the 90s. Yep has been taking some heat for his anti-vax and COVID-denying claims oh, on really? the Twitter. As when it just had their second job yesterday, I can tell him to GTF <laughs> with that nonsense. Yeah, like posting these, you know, doctored photos of Dr. Fauci wearing like a million masks and saying that people shouldn't get tested because, according to him, people who are asymptomatic can't pass it on, so they shouldn't get tested and... You know, the vaccine makes you grow two heads and all this other stuff, you know, just basically being a right wing idiot. So such a shame, such a pretty face. But yeah, he just left it. Uh, The classic Corey. Mm -hmm. He um, was toing and froing between Sally and Samantha. Yeah. Both of whom had. Significant others already. Well, Kev was. On the outs. He was kind of on the outs. Hmm. Des is just an asshole. And yeah. Samantha really changed her character like halfway through that storyline. Hmm. Anyway. Hmm. A, a, a character on Coronation Street completely changing their personality Who'd halfway thunk through it? a storyline. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk? Jeez, that never happens these days. We'll be talking about that this week. <coughs> anyway. Um. Finally. Don't expect any trophies for Corey anytime soon, as the British Soap Awards have been cancelled once again this year due to COVID. It's nice to see at least one awards show doing something right this year. <coughs> well, it's corny. You don't think there should be a British Soap Awards? 
I think they're they're I think it's smart to not have one because I mean, let's be honest. I watched I watched the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the BAFTAs and the Oscars, but I don't think many other people did. No. <laughs> and if I'm they honest, they weren't great. The SAGs were probably the best because they were under an hour. They Ironically, the SAGs quick. were better. Yes. If you want to participate, though, in a kind of pseudo soap awards, there's the Nope Awards that's happening on Twitter. Somebody's just set up an account called the Nope Awards uh-huh. or the Snope Awards. It and wouldn't be Snope. It wouldn't be Snope because I'd be taking. Right. But they've done their own kind of pseudo award thing uh-huh. that anyone is welcome to vote on. Oh. There's also this month's Empty Cup Awards. Yeah, I'm watching the votes pour in at the moment. Uh, it looks like Millie with an IE is currently winning. That was the the Ronnie nearly taking Jenny's eye out with a coffee <laughs> cup. That's <laughs> currently on our Twitter. Head over to at Corey Podcast and cash your vote. I'll be running for the rest of the weekend. Our mailbag. Chloe from Nova Scotia wrote in to say, I haven't written to you guys in a while. Sorry about that. But the Vogel Aww. thing and then the tree thing really made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and I thought you ought to know. That's Aww. it. Thanks, Chloe. <laughs> and then Suzanne said on Twitter, if you want a good Canadian show, try watching Winona Earp. Earp? Earp. Earp. Yeah, like Wyatt Earp. Best show ever. I hadn't heard about it. I looked it up. It's a supernatural Western horror. Mm-hmm. Oofed. Sounds right up my alley. An awful lot going on in that. Yeah. So, like, it's a take on Wyatt Earp, the, yep. cow, you know, the Western vigilante guy. Yeah, it actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I... Not uh, for kids, though. No. Yeah, I uh, binged all of uh, Shadow and Bone yesterday. Watched all nine episodes. <laughs> And it was it was good. It was good. But geez, I just see this is the thing. When I watch a show with Benny, I get to bed at a decent hour because he has to go to bed at a decent hour. Right. And I'm not going to watch the show without him because that wouldn't be fair. Mm -hmm. So on those nights, I go to bed at the right time. I start a show by myself. I'm just going to keep watching it until I die on the couch. And that's what happened with Shadow and Bone, which was good. Everybody should watch it. And also Kim's Convenience. Save Kim's, Kim's Convenience. Anyway. And old X-Men cartoon. Our new section, will podcast for coffee. <laughs> Need to get a little jingle done for that. Like a, the sound of coffee pouring into a cup and then a cha-ching at the end. I was maybe thinking i just try to rip off the Fraser theme tune. <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, he was supposed to be at a show with Alec Baldwin. Oh, well, we talked give about this already. <laughs> this week's coffees. Thanks to Canadian Jennifer and Dame Lily Savage, not that one, for shouting us our coffees this morning. Yay! It's because I love drag queens so much. <laughs> Canadian Jennifer said, I really enjoy listening to your Cory podcast. I laugh out loud listening on my Sunday morning walk. Aww. And Dame Lily said, love the show, guys. Yay. Well, thank you both for the coffees. I'm drinking mine out of a Aviato mug, which I think might be... It was a Christmas present from our niece. Yeah. Thanks to you, who told her that I like uh, Silicon <laughs> Valley. So it's a Silicon Valley mug yeah. with uh, delicious free coffee in it. And um, my mug has a black Labrador <laughs> puppy on it that Lovely. I stole from my father. This podcast is fast becoming a front to support our caffeine addiction. 
<laughs> Thank God. Yep. If you want to shout us a coffee, you can do so at ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll shout you out like we just did for Canadian Jennifer and Dame Lily Savage. Not that one. Yes, thanks again. Yay! And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about crying me eyes out, Aunt Lou. Are you crying on, on the toilet? Why? Because Margaret Thatcher died. Or because but, Prince Philip died. Because you were at the loo when you found out about both of those. That's right. This was Maria <laughs> watching a flash mob at a wedding. And this is what she was doing as she was watching it. Presumably while she was having a pee. This was giving her wedding ideas for um, her and Gary. Her and Gary. Yeah. Back when flash mobs were a thing that could be possible. Yep. I was Gavin and you weren't buying any of that shit. <laughs> in my intro I was suggesting that Tim's dad was merely a misunderstood soul ah. we spent 10 minutes talking about the movie Robodog <laughs> 10 full minutes which did not win any Academy Awards it's a shocker Yeah. and then we watched Terminator 2 Revenge of the Robodog it's a movie that isn't as good as it sounds and it sounds awful <laughs> 10 minutes we talked about that ah, it was dear. a quiet week in, uh, in Coronation <laughs> Street that week elsewhere uh, but not the worst movie we watched in lockdown. The second worst movie, I think. Yes, after... Uh, Max Keeble. Yes. Asha's doing her best to recover from the events of last week despite the best chat group efforts from Cossie, George and Skeggs. And maybe Dev isn't the worst dad in the universe after all. Kelly the Chin realises how bad both her parents are but finds a saviour in Billy and a creepy stalker in Gary. A mm. broken boiler, which probably isn't broken, determines the ownership of number one. Yasmin has contracted an STI, which apparently is her fault, loses all of her clothes and finds a hero in a bottle of wine as she twats Tim's dad with it. That was this time last year. Ooh. Kathy forgets her character. Summer is a buddy. And did we mention how creepy Gary is? Our moment <laughs> of the week was Steph and Asha's heart to heart after the whole video thing. And our boring moment of the week was Ken and Daniel talking about Daniel's spiritual journey in made up Scotland. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year it's just it's it just reinforces how absolutely shocking it is that asha keeps going back to cory i just itv cory well just, in my mind i don't think it's uh <coughs> i don't think it's been that long but it really has i think because he's not constantly in it yeah and because he constantly looks worse and worse as time goes on it didn't look quite as ill this week that's true. Anyway. <clears throat> Our first storyline. Oh, shall we dive in, my dear? Aye, I'll sleep. Our first storyline this morning is Sharon with a plan. On Monday, Sharon's catching up with Jenny on the street, talking about settling back in and seeing some old acquaintances. Sally, Gail. Leanne. Leanne. <laughs> Ta-ra then, says Sharon, and with a two-second smile fade, she slinks off. And later, Sally and Gail join her in the pub and she's eager to talk about the past and is quick to mention Leanne again. Gail points out that they didn't exactly see eye to eye when she was here the last time, but Sharon calls it all water under the bridge. Sally seems taken in by Sharon, but Gail is very cautious. Briefly. <laughs> <Right>. After <sighs> hearing about uh, her loss of a child, 
Sharon is super keen to speak with Leanne and uh, offer her condolences and stuff, and she's pretty brazen that she tries to get some details out of Gail. Gail, to her credit, remains suspicious, doesn't know where Leanne is, and refuses to hand over her phone number. Leanne's a way to get peace, not to get bothered. And Sharon pretends to understand, but if it wasn't for her hair cutting in her face, I'm pretty sure we'd get another two-second smell fade here. And we also get another one next. Oh! When she runs into Peter outside the cabin and twigs that he's Leanne's ex. Uh. She tries to get him to the pub, but he says that Carla's a jealous type. And I barely know you. And if you're looking for conversation, you'd better look elsewhere. Right. Also, I'm an alcoholic and I'm sober now. <laughs> so you'd rather not tell a complete stranger that he's an alcoholic. No, he'd rather throw his <laughs> freshly minted wife under the bus. Correct. <sighs> Later, and much quicker than anyone had a right to expect, th- this table is squeaking again. That's that's, that's not an reason. accident waiting to happen. <laughs> Seriously. <clears throat> Later, and much quicker than expected, we find out what Sharon's deal is when she goes to visit Harvey in prison, and it turns out that he's her nephew and is very keen to find out where Leanne is. Sharon needs time, but reckons Gail knows everything. Gail is a key. Uh-huh. Sharon promises her brother that she'd look uh, nephew. No, Sharon promised her brother that oh. she'd look after Harry, and she will. Harvey. What did I say? Harry. I think I did say Harvey. You said Harry. Fucking right, he says. Turns out that his dad took care of her financially, and now that he's dead, Harvey can easily take it back. Find, can he though? Find Simon and Leanne so he can get them to change their evidence. What? Can he though? Can he, if he's in prison, can he really take everything away from her if he's in prison and all his assets are locked and he can't do anything in prison? He also seems to be forgetting that he was caught red-handed. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter about evidence. Because he was right there. They caught him. He punched a policewoman in the face. Yeah. And ran away. Yeah. The actions of an innocent man. Right. Yeah. That alone will get you sent down. <laughs> All I can think of is that he's just saying this to Sharon instead of saying, I'm going to kill them. Because if he says point blank, he's going to kill them, then Sharon's not going to help him. But later on, he still seems to think that if he sorts this, he gets out. He, he seems to have that, that impression. None of this makes sense. Also, where was this brother when Sharon was in the foster care system? Well, the brother's dead. Well, yeah, but he wasn't dead when Sharon was on the show 20 years ago, was he? Obviously not. Moving on. Because <laughs> there's Harvey. <laughs> so. Not that he's 20 years old, but you know what I mean. Sharon goes to Gail's, but Gail's out. So she has to deal with Shona, who seems to take an instant dislike to Sharon, who just wandered into the house because the door was home. <laughs> yeah, who does that? Yeah, she showed up. You're nobody to nobody here. Right, yeah. You don't just walk into people's houses just because the door is open. Shona was great. Shona was great. This She's is actually like, the, the time that I was quite uh, relieved that this is new Shona. Right. Because old Shona would have probably been like reasonably polite, but new mm-hmm. Shona was kind of, I don't think so. Yeah. She's like a dog. Shona? Yes, because you know how dogs seem to be able to detect who's a good person, who, who's a bad person. Oh, that's true. You know, and new Shona, that seems to be her superpower that she gained from her brain injury. Because <laughs> that's how you get superpowers. Yeah. Traumatic 
bodily harm. Yeah, and being bitten by things. Which I guess is a kind of trauma. Yes. Take a seat, says Shona through clenched teeth. And she goes to put the kettle on. Sharon wonders if Gail has Curly's number in her address book. But Shona, rather too helpfully, explains that all of Gail's contacts are in her tablet. So when Shona goes off to make more tea, Sharon nicks the tablet and leaves just as Gail comes in. Let's catch up tomorrow, says Sharon quickly, who mm-hmm. really isn't very good at this skullduggery. Yeah. And she tries to get out of Dodge, but she's uh, cornered by Gemma, who drags her to the pub for some freebies from Jenny. Yes. So through the back of the rovers, Gemma is off for a shite while wearing onion rings on her fingers. <laughs> I saw she'd get so much stick for this online. Uh, so many people just full of hate about uh, Gemma, Gemma's eating habits. Right. It's, it's funny. Right. Isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's meant to be funny. It's not meant to. I mean, is it gross? Yes, but that's just the character, isn't it? Although right. she seemed to have matured when she had children. Right. And this seems to be a reversion back to old Gemma. But it's not harmful in any way. I the fact know. that she's going to the bathroom with food in her hand. Not even in her hand, on her on hand. Her, on her fingers. While Jenny's making cocktails, Shan hacks into Gail's iPad. She Somehow. works out what, is, uh, what Gail's password is. What is it? One, two, three, four, five? It's, it's one, two, three, four. Which <sighs> reminds me of a little gift that I saw that somebody posted uh, of Deirdre Barlow. Uh, or Rashid, I think, as she was at the time. Mm. Uh, picking up the phone and calling Ken. And you saw put in Ken's number. Uh, and it was one, two, three, four. And it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> so she just hits one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Hello, Hello Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and now nobody has to has to dial that anymore because no. of mobile phones. Yes. It's a sad day. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, yeah, so Sharon hacks into Gail's iPad and gets Nick's number, but it's disconnected. Then Jenny comes in wondering why Sharon has a tablet that has a picture of Sam as a wallpaper. Yeah. Sam's taken that photo, hasn't he? <laughs> he has, hasn't he? <laughs> no, because it's... And set it as a wallpaper. <laughs> He has. No, no. Because it's like a full body picture of Sam, isn't it? No, it's just his head. Oh. Head and shoulders. I thought it was like his whole Knees body. Knees and toes. Yeah. Whole the body. fuck's going on here? Says Jenny. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you have somebody else's kid on your tablet? Somebody that you don't you don't really know or have any connection with. Who right. you're nobody to nobody. Right. Shannon claims that she picked up by mistake. Jenny shares a bit too much information telling her that Nick left Sam behind when he went AWOL. Sharon rushes off to return the tablet to Gail and she meets Sam who's looking at a bee's nest with binoculars and starts talking to her about bees and the ritualistic nature of bees and how if you ever see a bee on the ground someone will come along soon to talk to you about bees. You know what's funny? You never see Sam and Roy in the same picture. You never see them together on screen. They were together. Coincidence? They were together that that one time in the cafe. Remember uh, Roy gave uh, Sam a sum to do in his head. And he did it. And Roy was quite impressed. Roy and Sam, same person. <laughs> Despite what I've just said. <laughs> Gail and Shona come out and Sharon apologises for taking the tablet, calling it a simple mistake. Shona says that she stole it, seen through Sharon's uh, nosiness earlier. Embarrassed, Gail drags Shona back into the house and Sharon tells Sam that she hopes to get to know him and has a lot to learn from him about bees. Right, yeah. So Gail, who was suspicious of Sharon earlier and didn't want to tell Sharon very much earlier. Rightly so. Rightly so. 
now all of a sudden it's taking Sharon's side when she does something really suspicious mm-hmm. over Shona just because Shona annoys her. Yeah, because of uh, plate embarrassment. Right. Yeah. It's just... About, about feeling be, uneasy about Shona. You can't be one thing in one scene and then the complete polar opposite in the other scene just because plot. That's Gail. On Wednesday. Is that an excuse? <laughs> yeah. Sarah comes into the cabin with three pages of exposition to deliver. Audrey's had a fall and Gail's looking after her, which has left Sarah in charge of organising Sam's 10th birthday because Natasha's away in that London. Sharon offers to help because that's what you expect from complete strangers, but Sharon will crack on by herself, thanks. Sarah will crack on by herself. Sarah will crack on by herself, thanks. (laughs) Unfortunately, the cabin is out of balloons, apart from Brian's head. (laughs) In number eight, David is suspicious when Sharon, abandoning her post at the cabin, comes in with massive ten balloons. She's got a big one and a big zero. David looks a little different this week, doesn't he? I don't know what it was, but I was like, there's something different about him. He was sitting down. <laughs> was that what it was? I, I don't know. know. Sarah is surprised but grateful as she struggles with some baking. Sharon offers to help again and Sarah explains that Sam needs a high tea kind of affair. Let's give the According wee shite. According to Gail. Yeah, let's give the wee shite a birthday to remember, says Sharon. Full of bees. But later, Sharon has burned the cake. Sam will remember Sarah that. Sarah has burnt the cake, not Sharon. <laughs> they're so close and they're in the same paragraph. <laughs> Later. I'm about to say it again. Did you hear it? I did. The I sh did. was formed in my mouth. Yes, the shit was formed in your mouth. That is correct. It's early. <laughs> I'm 47 a, years old. You don't even have a jab to excuse. But later, Sarah has burned the cake. Sam will remember that. So Sharon nips to the shop to buy one and we see that Sarah has had a text from an unknown number claiming to be Nick asking to meet her urgently at the Red Wreck. <sighs> so Sarah goes off to see Nick which leaves Sharon to pick up Sam because David and Shona have disappeared somewhere because of plot. And right, bees. yeah. And, you know, again, Sarah's like, oh, something has come up. I don't know what to do. I need to pick up Sam. And Sharon says, oh, don't worry about it. I, a complete stranger to you, will mm-hmm. go pick him up. And she's like, oh, that's great. Bye. What? Back at number eight. <sighs> Sam is sad because this was going to be his first birthday with his mum and his dad together. And now he's stuck with this total stranger. <laughs> Sharon doesn't think it's fair and that he should at least get to speak to his dad on his special day. Sam says he's going to call one of his friends. Well, creepy Sharon hangs around, but it's not a friend he's calling. It's Nick. And they have a very brief birthday chat while Sharon gets an earful. Mm. Sam sees her watch and looks guilty. If Nick finds out that anybody knows about this, he'll stop calling, Sam tells Sharon later. Sharon tries to probe further, but Sam clams up. He's already said too much. Sharon (laughs) tells him that she's an old family friend and if he ever needs to talk about his secret, he can talk to her. Anytime. Right. Anytime at all. And Sam... How about right now? And Sam, a really intelligent kid... It just falls for this. He's like been all of a sudden, he's been all, groomed. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the show remembers that he's still a child, <laughs> no matter how many precocious adult-like things they put in his mouth. See, I saw some uh, to and fro on the Twitter about this with the um, the Twitter account formerly known as Ben Price fan page. Yes, scripted scene. Yes, um, so he's he's been groomed. 
Yeah. And he has been groomed by her. Yeah. Yeah. However, and I think he's been groomed by her because nobody's turned up for his fucking birthday apart from her. She seems to be the only one that gives a shit about it. Well, everybody else is like not there. Or something. Well, yes, because He's been left with someone that he doesn't know. Yeah. The only person that's shown any interest in him whatsoever that it's his birthday. Well, and, he, fairness, and he's talking to her. Sarah is trying desperately, but then she gets that text, which we know is not actually from Nick. But uh, I can I don't think this is as bad as it as it seems. I th- I think it's reasonable that he's sharing this with ridiculous. the only person that has uh, shown him any any attention. I think it's ridiculous that Nick gave Sam a phone number that he could call him on. We will get to that. Because, hello, like, when Nick decided to leave, he said to Sam, I'm not going to be able to contact you. I'm not going to be able to call you. When when did he slip a phone number even to this child mm-hmm. that nobody else saw? <sighs> so Sam sings like a canary about Leanne being a stool pigeon and her and Nick going on the lam, and Sharon continues to be a regular Cruella Deville, telling him that he's a good boy to share his problems with her. And Sam seems quite taken in by this. Later, the two of them are watching a Netflix documentary when they talk about Leanne and Oliver, and at the mention of a dead kid, Sharon seems to have a moral crisis about this, but she offers to help him find a place where he and Nick can meet and hang out. You would like that, wouldn't you, Sam? Sam's like, yes, I would like that very much, thank you. Where the fuck has Sarah got to? And it turns out she's back at the factory and has called on Adam. It seems a text that she got looks like it was a hoax because Nick didn't show up and she's really worried about Nick now, but Adam's worried that the message really could have come from anyone. Right. They could be getting watched right now. Yeah. Says the sensible Scottish person. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why did she go and meet him at the factory as opposed to meeting him at the house? Uh Uh-huh. Even, I mean, I guess she wanted it to be private, but that factory is pretty open. That's not exactly private. I think we may have mentioned once or twice that people seem to wander in and out of the factory at will. Who don't work there. And Will doesn't work there either. Says you. <laughs> so she gets back home and tells Sam that Natasha is stuck in that London, so she'll be staying there overnight. He'll uh, be staying. Oh, yeah. And then he'll be staying with right. them. And then the three of them have the saddest birthday party ever as we find out that Sharon was Sarah's anonymous texter. Yes. Yes. I think we're led to believe or we're meant to believe that the rest of the family come back and they have a party off screen. They just can't show us because of COVID. It looked incredibly sad. It's like Sarah's tidying up. There is no mess. There's like cups and stuff. Well, you know, Sharon's like, you know, I'm going to save the day by making ham sandwiches and cutting the crusts off so they look fancy. She made one sandwich and, and then went to wash it up. In many million pieces. Later, huh. Sharon has been at number eight all day and is starting to smell, but she still manages to find out that Sam has texted Nick, who has said it's still too dangerous to come home. Because remember, Sharon's meant to be looking after the cabin. Right. <laughs> there is also that. So she goes back to the cabin just in time to close when she gets another call from Harvey. He's not impressed with Sharon's lack of progress and it seems that her safety depends on her delivering the goods here. Harvey seems to threaten Leanne's life, which Sharon inexplicably takes to mean that he's threatening Sam, which he mm-hmm. wasn't. And we'll get back to this story later. So yeah, <sighs> the whole... Um, Leanne is like a dog with a bone. Right. Something that um, 
that Sharon said, and Harvey said rather ominously, well, you can put dogs down. Yeah. And Sharon says, don't you be hunting Sam. Right. And Harvey said, no, I wasn't talking about Sam. I was talking about Leanne because yeah. of the whole dog metaphor that you brought up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't like Sharon. No. Which is obvious because you're yeah, not, you're you're not, not meant, meant to, to like Sharon. No. But what I don't like more is, is the way that she seems to have just swanned in right. after nearly a quarter of a century. Right. After doing something really horrible to a beloved character on the street. But most people on the street haven't the faintest clue who she is. Like, Sarah would have been a kid when she left. Right. If, if they ever had any interaction with her. Right. Just let her you've got the key to the street yeah. you can wander from one place to the other people are going to take you and tell you that they're secrets right yeah uh, very little except prompting. for peter <laughs> right who throws carla under the bus <laughs> right <laughs> which turns out to have been the right thing to do right strangely enough yes so peter and shona are the only ones so far who uh, well and jenny to a degree and she will do even more on friday mm-hmm We'll push back. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about this whole thing when we finish off uh, at the end of the week. Our next storyline this morning. Oh, so we're not going to continue that storyline to its... No, because it ends up being part of the Peter storyline later. Right. Yes. So our next storyline, Todd the Prick. <sighs> this oh. is... It's pretty bad when Todd is... <laughs> what of the rays of light... <laughs> Of the week. Oh, you got some sunshine out of this? I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, Todd is pretending to be a businessman. I'm a businessman now. I'm a businessman. And he's well, worried he's a salesman. About, he's worried about the undertaker's figures. Right, yeah, because he wants to get paid more. Yep, and he really wants to start pushing that cowboy funeral idea. <laughs> Todd thinks that they should be uh, chasing up customers for payment, but the undertaker says that that's not how his dad operated, and that's not how he operates. So when you're fucking naked. Then Eileen, who doesn't work at the funeral home, comes into the funeral home with some empty cups of coffee while Todd is ignoring the undertaker and has spent the morning phoning around clients, trying to fleece some money out of them, thinking it'll make the undertaker super happy to see money in the books. Good luck with that, says mm-hmm. Eileen. And later, when the undertaker comes back, Todd smugly shows them that they're back in the black thanks to him ringing around clients and taking 25% down payments. Right. It's a death deposit, says the undertaker, and he's not impressed. This is not how you deal with grieving people. He orders Todd to phone the list back and then pay them back. Todd refuses. Which doesn't make any sense because they're going to have to pay him that money anyway, anyway. at the end. So just smile and just say, don't ever do that again. Or sack him. Right. But sadly, it seems that all the customers are quite happy with this new arrangement. So the undertaker apologises to Todd, whose smugness breaks the gauge. This isn't how you pay for funerals, though. You get a bill at the end. They, they do all your stuff. And then when the estate gets settled, the funeral parlour, the funeral home or whoever, they get a, they get paid out with that. Yeah. That's what happened with my mum anyway. The bank paid the funeral home. I didn't pay anybody. Right. Oops, maybe I should have paid somebody. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. all fine. It's fine. It's all fine. See, my mother's already paid for everything, so. That's good because it's an expensive business. That's right. It is expensive. It's, and it can be ridiculously expensive. It's like you can't afford to die. Right. Ugh. 
on Wednesday. Uh, so this gives Todd carte blanche to start complaining about how The Undertaker's calendar isn't on the cloud. The Undertaker says that he's an analogue Undertaker in a digital age. That's where I come in, says Todd, who's looking for a pay rise because he's figured out how to turn on a laptop. <laughs> the Undertaker has double booked himself, which gives Todd a chance to try and upsell a dotary old widower who looks like he could barely afford a matchbox to bury his wife in. And later, Todd is bragging about his upselling skills to an increasingly disgruntled The Undertaker when the son of the dotary old geezer storms in looking to rip Todd limb from limb. He's charging 15000 that his dad hasn't got. The Undertaker is affronted and pedigrees Todd through a table, even though that's Triple H's finishing move, and then looks to help the client bring that price down a little bit. And after it's all been sorted out, Todd comes slinking back in, thinking the whole thing is kind of funny, even when The Undertaker reveals that he's doing the funeral for free now to stop any bad publicity. The Undertaker has had enough. Todd's doing his head in. You're sacked, he says. Not so funny now, Michael McIntyre, is it? And Todd's like, what? Who's that? <laughs> it's a kind of fairly poor stand-up comedian. Right. In my opinion. He's much loved. He's not Stuart Lee. So. Well, nobody is Stuart Lee. Not even Stuart Lee is Stuart Lee. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. Just a character. Yeah. So, on Friday, for reasons... As we all are. For reasons we're not going to examine, Eileen is up and singing the theme to the Wombles. She's surprised to see that Todd is still in the house and he tells her that The Undertaker has sacked him, blaming his broken relationship with her and how he remarked that Todd was dragged up instead of brought up. And furious, Eileen goes out to have it out with the four-time WWE World Champion. Right. What what does Todd seek to get out of out of sending Eileen around angry to The I Undertaker's? What, what is he supposed to get out of this? Because when she said... Just to give The Undertaker grief? I'm going to give him a piece of my fucking mind. Right. When she said that, rather than going, oh, no, 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 don't don't bother, just let it go. Yeah. He just sits back and smiles. Right, yeah. So Eileen unloads on The Undertaker. Yeah. But not like that. There you go. But he quickly puts her right. He sacked Todd because he was a money-grabbing, ghoulish prick, and it had nothing to do with her because he thought that she and him were on good terms now. Eileen realises that Todd's just played her again and she decides to kill him. <laughs> and when she gets home, she confronts Todd who doesn't, have a, him. who doesn't have a solitary fuck to give about how he embarrassed his own mother or lost his job because he's a con man. Somehow she's convinced the undertaker to let him work his week's notice and still get paid for it because she needs rent. Right. So Todd's back at work as the undertaker leaves for the funeral of a former children's entertainer and I think we all know what that means. <laughs> He leaves Todd He's, in charge it of... It means that he gets to wear a little boutonniere that twirls. Sure. <laughs> so he leaves Todd in charge of a departed soul in the Chapel of Rest and Todd continues to be the disrespectful prick that we all know him as. Stop your snoring back there, he says, until the undertaker points out that the departed was pretty young. Yes. So later, the person related to the young guy is Stu, mm-hmm. someone Todd knows. He's yes. a partner of Joe who apparently went to school with Todd and remembers him as being a nice guy. Right, yeah, these these were characters that we haven't... Again, we haven't characters seen, we haven't seen in 20 years. We will never see again. No. And the body in the back belongs to his infant son, Liam. And suddenly this all seems very real to Todd and he's run out of corpse jokes. He quickly phones the undertaker, asks him to come round because this is something that he can't handle. Prick. But Stu can't wait and begs Todd to help with the viewing. So Todd does it, and afterwards it looks like part of his soul has been ripped out. 
Stu tells Todd that he's a good guy and not the fucking prick he thought he was do at school. Think, do you think the actress who used to play Joe just couldn't be bothered to come back for this and that's why they said that Joe... There is no Joe. There was never any Joe. These are not characters that have ever been in the show. That's not what I read online. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, sicko. Because oh. <laughs> internet's always right. You're basing your knowledge on memes again. When the, when the Undertaker gets back, Todd is still upset because he lost a baby 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Young Billy. The Undertaker doesn't know, didn't know, and Todd apologises for being such a prick since Undertaker took him on. He claims he was a nicer person before. The Undertaker falls for it and takes Todd back on. And later, Eileen comes into the Rovers and finds <laughs> the Undertaker and Todd getting on like a house on fire. Not only are they work colleagues again, they're best mates. Oh, and trading jokes about... Swapping the heads off of corpses. Fucking Todd. What a prick. He always lands on his feet, that Todd. He does. However, Teflon Todd. As much as I dislike this, you may have picked up that I don't like Todd's character. Yes. As much as I dislike Todd, mm-hmm. I thought that the performance that we got was very good. This week was yeah. very nuanced, mm-hmm. very believable. Yes. Because when he finds out that it's a, essentially it's a baby that's back there. Yeah. He really changes. And you absolutely see see it in his soul a little bit. Yeah. And I thought it was exceptionally well done. Yes, it was well acted. Well done, Garth Pierce. Yes. Good stuff. Brava. And also, I just, I like The Undertaker, so. Yeah, me too. I, I, you know, I, I I like that character a lot. So I like, because he's so bumbling. He's. And you know, and he's, earnest. He, he's bumbling and earnest because he's wearing a waistcoat that's slightly too short. <laughs> it's not it's not terribly too short. It's just slightly too short. Also, I find his world's best son mug endearing. He's inseparable from that thing. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah. And because it's like a family business mm-hmm. he's trying to treat Todd like family right. not like an employee so he gives them some rope right that Todd then goes and hangs himself with right but he's doing his best by Todd he's trying to make this work also he kind of he kind of does want to and he wants to bump boots with Eileen, Eileen right mm-hmm. so he wants Todd in the family way right but not like that <laughs> your arm's sore yes I may have mentioned that I got my second dose of the vaccine yesterday. You did? How did that go? And tell me what you think about the Oscars. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Do you think the uh, Undertaker Eileen thing, it's going to happen, isn't it? Of course At it's going to happen. Of course. Why wouldn't it? Right. I know. And it's, it's, it's not unbelievable that they would get together. No, no, not at all. Are we seeing a new new Todd now? Or do you think he's going to go back to his <sighs> prickish ways? He's still going to be a prick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's never going to admit to Billy what he's done. No, that will be found out. Yeah. But there we go. That gets found out when Todd's turned a new leaf and is actually turning out to be a nice guy. Right. Billy finds out what happened to get the two of them back together again, mm-hmm. which then pushes Todd to be a bad guy again. A bad guy again. Yeah. 
It's like we know how soap operas work for some reason. Well, I was going to say that, but then I remembered that we thought that Leanne was going to be out of it for a while. Well, <coughs> I mean, she's she's kind of out of it. I bet she's going to be even more out of it. She's on a new set. Yeah. <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is Gulliver's World of Uncomfortable Co-Parenting. <laughs> on Monday, Chesney's round to see Fizz to cheer her up with a joke about how he feels like Deck and Tyrone. When we all know that he's only good for decking himself with a half brick when the situation dictates. <laughs> Fizz is in a reflective mood thinking it's all over but she doesn't understand how she missed the signs and doesn't think that it's fair that Ty gets to be a winner out of all this. Ty is a loser, says Chesney without a single hint of self-awareness. So Ches goes round to the garage to insult Ty for a bit and then play the big peacemaker. Contrary to Fizz, Fizz's wishes, he's managed to talk her into letting Ty see the kids this afternoon but you better not take them to Alina's flat and he warns Ty that he's on shaky ground. If he fucks up here, he might not find it so easy to see his kids again. Thanks, Chesney, for giving me, like, three minutes notice about this. Right, yeah. Ty goes to see the kids at home, and he does his best to explain that he still likes Fizz, but he's met someone else who he loves, but that doesn't change how Fizz and him feel about them. Hope seems to understand it better than Ruby, but one thing's for sure, both of them hate this fucking storyline and wish that it never happened. Yeah, and I don't blame them. And, you know... (laughs) And Hope, Hope is very astute. She's like, well, if you can fall out of love with Mummy, can't you fall out of love with us? Mm-hmm. And she especially is probably feeling this because she's not Ty's biological daughter. Right. So, I mean, Ruby has nothing to worry about. But yeah. But even Ruby's kind of been getting the short end of the stick when it comes to Tyrone lately. Yeah, I think Ruby's got her feet up on the table smoking a cigar here. She's... <laughs> She doesn't really... I don't think she's worried in any way. Hmm. So he takes the girls to speed dial and accidentally, wouldn't you know it, bumps Uh-oh. into Alina. Ty tries to shoo her away, but Hope asks if she can have lunch with them, what with her being his girlfriend and everything. If Alina's going to be their new stepmummy, she and Ruby have some questions. Blimey, says Tyrone with a laugh. Alina smiles, but everything about her says, fuck this for a game of soldiers. Right. But she likes the kids and the kids right. like her. Yeah. But also... Both of them need to step up, be adults, and say no to this child every once in a while because this is how you get a child who thinks it's okay to rip her cousin's arm out of the socket. <laughs> and then beat him over the head with it. <laughs> right. And light things on fire and rip off dolls' heads, etc., etc., etc. You're creating your own monster. If hope doesn't go on to kill, I am going to be so disappointed. Meanwhile, Maria bribes her way back into Fizzy's good books with a family pass to Gulliver's World, whatever that is. <clears throat> Fizz is now worried that the girls are going to fall in love with Alina. And Maria points out that the stepmother is always wicked. You've got nothing to worry about. Maria, with her finger on the pulse of every situation that's going on in the street. Right, which apparently is a fairy tale now. <laughs> the evil stepmother? Yeah, wicked stepmothers. Mm-hmm. Snow White had one. Uh-huh. Cinderella had one. Mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel had one. Right. Yay. This is this is a, a common trope yeah. in the fairy tale world. I think that's our point, isn't it? Yeah, but not in real life. All right. <laughs> we can never see, never see where you're going. Right? Yes, Maria seems to think that she's Snow White and Fizz is. Well, Fizz would have to be the Little Mermaid, wouldn't she? Because that's the only ginger princess. Oh, wait, no, no, she's yeah, Merida um, from Brave. That's who she is. I'm struggling with this metaphor, I really am. 
so sure. Oh, that means that Billy Conley's our dad. <laughs> Get him on the show. Can you imagine oh, Billy Conley on so, Coronation Street? They've so missed a trick. For once, when I put swear words into characters' mouths, it would be authentic. <laughs> Jobby. Back at Speed Dal. <laughs> Back at Speed Dal, Alina has passed the test by preferring Anna to Elsa. I don't know who those people are. Those are and the two princesses from Frozen. Oh, I've seen Frozen. You have. Anna, I think I fell asleep during that. Anna is the naive, kind of stupid one. And Elsa is the actual Snow Queen. The one who can shoot ice out of her hands and stuff. When I woke up, I think a snowman was singing a song to a Swedish man. <laughs> I was so confused. So, so Lena now... Alina now admits to loving Tyrone and she says, this is fucked up for sure right now, but in time Gav's shit will work out. Disney princess movies. <laughs> Snowman sings to a Norwegian guy. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and that's Frozen. <laughs> I think I managed to get the kernel of that story in <laughs> Just cut to the chase. You like Mulan though, and um, and um, Did I? and um, the the one with the rock in it. Central intelligence. <laughs> no, the one with the rock. Um, the Dwayne Johnson Moana. was in Moana. Yes. Yeah, that was good. You like Mo- Moana? I think I had a problem with it though. What was my problem with it? Uh was it, um, what's his name, playing the shiny crab? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Because he can he sing? You know me so well. What is... Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Hope and Ruby now love this storyline, and Tyrone is mostly useless. Yeah, it's weird, because you'd think Hope w- wouldn't, because Hope is totally an Elsa, na-na-na-na. Ruby's the Anna in the situation, and yet Hope is like, yeah, she likes Anna, so she's okay. Girl can dream. Fizz is taking advantage of not having the kids and them not being at Chesney's by taking a bottle of vino back home to get wired into it. But Alina, Ty and the girls pour it a speed dial right in front of her. The girl's excited that Alina is taking them to, wouldn't you believe it? Gulliver's World! At the weekend, Fizz is pissed at this and drags the girls home with her. The girls couldn't really give a shit one way or the other. On Wednesday, Tyrone and Tim are discussing Kev's stag do. Ty wants to go to Ennui because they have an ice bar. And I don't know where that is either. It's a bar made out of ice. Is it? Who would want to go to that? It'd be fucking freezing. Haven't we... We walked by one of those once. I'm trying to remember what city it was that we were in that had one. It was either Miami or Glasgow. We've never been to Miami. <laughs> or not Miami. Uh, Orlando. <laughs> or Glasgow. <laughs> Which are coin. basically the same thing. <laughs> Ty suggests that Kev is more looking to get bladdered in the rovers than doing something pretentious like this, but Ty won't hear of it. It's his choice because he's best man. You've changed, says Tim. And he goes round to the garage to warn Kev that Ty's ideas are shite. Kev predictably agrees and Ty's offended. Get lashed in the rovers for a change, he says. See if I give a fuck. 
So Ty, still in a bad mood when Abby comes back from her final dress fitting, she encourages Kev to kiss and make up with Ty, but no tongues. So Kev does that and reckons that maybe he can tolerate some of Tyrone's shite ideas after all. In the pub, Ty asks Abby to do him a favour and invite Alina to the Hindu. It'll make things less awkward at the wedding, he says, and then he leaves and Abby and Kev are shocked that Alina will be there to make things awkward for everyone else. Right, yeah. Tyrone is just... How clueless can you be? I know. Yeah, and to just assume something like that. Right, yeah. Without asking first. Right, yeah. Like, as as Abby rightly points out, the invitation went to Tyrone and Fizz. Not Ty. Not Tyrone plus one. Yeah, and that's a little theme that will crop up again on Friday. Yeah. At the garage, Ty reminds everyone that he's trying to get Alina on the hen night guest list thing. And Abby lets him down blaming the numbers, which makes Ty wonder how he's going to get Lena introduced to everyone else that she probably already knows before the wedding. Abby makes eyes at Kev to sort this. You'd think that they could just use the whole numbers thing for the wedding as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't invite lots of people to a wedding right now, even in a soap opera. Abby decides to go nuclear anyway and tells Sally about Tyrone's ridiculous plus one idea. And Sally is very firmly Team Fizz on this. And if Abby wants Kev to deal with it, she says he can only cope with very specific instructions. <laughs> just cracked me up. Right, because, it's, because she's it's, right. She's yeah. absolutely right. That's true of all men, let's be honest. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fact that she's dug up that's, that's decades old. Right. That she knows Kev so well. Right. He only deals with very specific instructions. Right, yeah. But Ab- Which probably is why he's a mechanic. Hmm. But Abby will deal with it herself, which pleases Sally, who doesn't want her day ruined. <laughs> or Abby's. Meanwhile, Ty is making demands of Kev about the seating arrangements. He wants Fizz moved away from the top table, and he wants uh, Alina to be up there instead. Yeah. Flaming egg, says Kev, which really <laughs> means fucking hell. Privately, Abby tells Kev that Alina isn't invited to the wedding and Kev needs to tell Ty or she will, and mm-hmm. that won't be pretty. No. So Kev is winding up to do that, chatting to Tyrone, about to bring up the subject of Alina, when Sally and Abby both descend on the scene and assume that he's balling it again. So between Sally telling Ty that he has a nerve mm-hmm. and Abby insisting that there is no such thing as a plus one, he works out that Alina isn't welcome, and so he resigns as Kev's best man. Fuck y'all, he says, and he bids them a good day while Abby and Sally... I say to you, sir, good day. ...swallow their chins a little bit. Uh, fuck him. <laughs> Seriously. I, it's just, he's so clueless about... Do you know the word that jumped into my head as I was watching this? What? Entitled. Yes. Yes. He was very entitled this Very week. much so. Very much so. And I've been kind of ambivalent about whose team I'm on during right. this. This week pushed me away from Team Tyrone. Yeah. Because he's acting like a baby. He really is. He really is. I mean, I'm not it's... a fan of Fizz in this either, but the way that she dragged the kids off on Monday wasn't great. Well, in fairness to her, she gave Tyrone very specific instructions. I don't want Alina around the kids right now while things are still confused and everything. And I totally get that because I went through that yeah, yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. How did that work out? Not very well there you go. in the beginning. And then later on, you know, fine. it was fine because we became friends and they split up. <laughs> and we're still friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. It- Something about the last laugh. Something about... <laughs> 
a dish served cold. Something like that. <laughs> something, 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 Skylander. But right. um, yeah, I, and again, with the whole entitlement, it's like, oh, well, I guess you're here because you didn't get the, this, this whole nobody checks their phone on this show thing. It's just got to stop because it's just laughable at this point that so many plots hinge on people not checking their phones. Yeah. You know, cause Too Elena's much. like, Ty's like, I texted you and Elena's like, Oh, I didn't check my phone, which is totally unbelievable. But you know what's better than that? What? Ty not texting her. He doesn't have to text where he's going to be every single minute of the day. Right. But he, you know, he texted her that he was going to be going out with his daughters. So he wouldn't be home for tea because she's there to get a takeaway for their tea. Not knowing that he had other plans for tea. It's funny when you say tea. <laughs> it just does. It, well, that's just what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. I can't use breakfast or dinner or supper or even lunch. You can use lunch. Or brunch. Or any of the other words for a meal. Yeah. But tea. But uh, yeah, the whole phone thing is it crops up all the all time. All the time. People leave their phones, people's phones aren't charged, people don't check their phones. Yeah. It's totally unbelievable in today's society that that would ever happen. The mobile phone is the the thing that is most responsible for fucking up soap storylines. Right. More than infidelity. Right. More than murderous plumbers. Right. It's all about mobile phones just yeah. not being used properly. And that's just lazy writing. And, you know, the fact that Ty doesn't put his foot down and say, yep, no, you know, I understand you girls want to hang out with Alina and that's great, but I made a promise to mummy. You guys can see Alina later. Instead of saying, oh, well, fine, this is great. Let's just do this and fuck the consequences, which well, is basically Tyrone's whole point of view anyway. It avoids a conversation and it makes his life easier. Right. So yeah. therefore he's, well, if this is just falling into my lap, what am I supposed to do? Right. Yeah. The right thing. Yeah. Grow a pair and be a parent. You're not, sometimes you can't be their daddy. You need to be their father. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't have to be their best friend. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put the father mask on and, like, lay down the law, which Tyrone has never been good at. No. Because let's remember, he and Fizz agreed to have yes, someone yes, yes, yes. who tried to murder Fizz come back into their life just because Hope was sad. Well, who hasn't done that? Our next storyline today, just a few scenes from Seb the Goth. On Monday, Seb is in the Rovers with a bunch of flowers for Nina's birthday that, according to The Undertaker, are more in need of a priest than a vase. Which was funny. Superb. Because he's not wrong. He got them from Dev's. That of explains he did. That explains everything. Yeah. The Undertaker knows a thing or two about flowers, so takes Seb under his wing. But it turns out that Seb would have been better off with the corner shop flowers because The Undertaker's idea is to sell him old funeral flowers <laughs> and a wreath that said Nana that now says Nina. And he's got Seb wearing a top hat and eyeliner. Nina, quite understandably, is appalled. He's like, he's like a white slash. <laughs> I don't know what these people look like, but he reminds me of Panic at the disco. I don't know if that's anywhere near 
been true, but that's what... Oh, no, My Chemical Romance. Reminded me of that. And to a lesser extent, Panic at the disco. Panic. He hates himself for hurting her feelings. Or and so Rob Zombie. He looks like a young Rob Zombie. Yeah, I'm not sure no who, what he looks like either. And so he dressed up for her. <laughs> it's not dressing up, she says. You don't get it. And she tells him to go suck a bag of dicks. Quite rightly this time. Yes. So he comes back later, dressed as a sorry idiot this time. She's right. He doesn't get it. And so he asks her to explain. And she tells him that being a goth is part of who she is, like her eye colour. She was always a misfit. When her mum got sick and died, withered away in front of her, it was a gift. And there was beauty in the death and the darkness, she says. It started to make sense. And then two Anne Rice novels later, that was it. And she felt comfortable in her own skin for the first time, happy to be different. Seb does a better job of apologising this time, and Nina and him make up. She yeah. apologises too for overreacting, and they discover that they love each other, and the move is back on. Belter, says Seb. Yes, and that was nice. Yeah. And it's it's nice. I, I like the way that she talks about how this aspect of our identity is a, it stems from a coping mechanism for dealing with grief, and I think that is a lovely sentiment for her to have. I thought this was a potential banana skin to be written down and said to be written down by a writer and said by an actor and to make it feel uh, personal and right mm-hmm. when it's something that's um, oh, a little windy pops when it's something that's uh, a, such a personal untangible thing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. of, of why why is it that when you like a certain sort of music mm-hmm. that you're certain aspects of your life change like your fashion choices change and right. your appearance changes and the, the person that you are outwardly can change mm-hmm. as well and it's a difficult thing to quantify and to explain and to make it sound believable and, mm-hmm. and realistic and yeah. and also uh, to make it something that, that people can connect with mm-hmm. but they really did that awfully well yeah and it felt authentic yeah and it is authentic it's funny because uh you know, I uh, I was listening to uh, Fresh Air this week, and uh, Stephen Colbert was on, and and um, Terry Gross asked him about his love of of science fiction and and fantasy, and asked if you know if in some way that was a coping mechanism when his his father and his brothers died because he tragically lost his father and two of his brothers in a airplane accident at a young age. Oh. Um. And he said, yes, absolutely, that, you know, going into a, a fantasy world or science fiction world mm-hmm. where things are where things are better was really helpful to him. And he and he said, you know, I'm of I'm of a generation. I don't think anybody of my generation has not held out their hand and tried to use the force to move something at right. some point in their childhood, which right. is quite right, because that is something I know I did. I've done it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've both done it. I've done it this week. <laughs> You know, and in many aspects of my life, you know, because I was bullied quite heinously as a child and used science and like Stephen Colbert used science fiction and and fantasy novels and and television shows and uh, and movies as coping mechanisms. You know, you you immerse yourself in, in Star Trek where the world is a better place where where no one is bullied and everyone is accepted as they are, 
it it's it helps you deal with with the reality you're in so it was it was it was very lovely to see mm-hmm. the show sort of paint this identity for for Nina and and make it less of just I um, like this music that's all right yeah or she likes to wear funny clothes mm-hmm. she likes to be different right yeah she likes to stand out mm-hmm. where that really has nothing to do with it at all no no that that was uh that was very good and and uh similarly to uh, to your experience I grew to like horror the more I learned about my parents relationship because mm-hmm. the monster gets defeated I think right yes lovely stuff yes our next storyline this morning is that our penultimate storyline <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to move with the force there I couldn't breathe for a second <gasps> It is a penultimate storyline. Mm-hmm. It's what an ITV Corey on. Ugh. On Monday, Dev is moaning to Bernie and Addy about ITV Corey's parents. He can't believe that they've let Asha shack up with her son under their roof without consulting Dev first. Bernie isn't surprised though, and Addy, he's the voice of reason, wondering if the situation really is as cool as Asha describes. So Dev decides to speak to ITV Corey's dad. They play golf at the, at the club together, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Dev well, they play golf at the same club. Not together. Not together. <laughs> Dev promises to be charming. So Dev meets ITV Stefan at Speed Dial because that's a thing now. Well done, Helen. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's on the phone to Lemington, but despite this, Dev keeps trying to talk to him, which really annoyed me. Apparently he's in publishing. Yeah, when he's done with the call, we learn that he's in the publishing business, has magazines called Seriously and Hiya. Yes. We've seen Hiya Yes, before. he's responsible for Hiya. And Seriously? Seriously? Asha is a lovely girl, he says, and no problem around the house. He hardly sees How her. does he have all this money if he's in publishing of paper magazines that no one reads anymore? <laughs> in 2021. Very strong online presences. Uh-huh. Dev doesn't think that this is a long-term solution, but ITV Stefan's phone goes again and it's Lymington, who he calls Log Jam Central. Benny comes in and tries to help Dev out, but ITV Stefan is as bad as his shitting son. He thinks that Asha is good for ITV Corey, and if he's getting his hole into the bargain, what's the problem? And he isn't interested in <sighs> Dev's concerns. <sighs> if anything happens to her, I will fucking kill you, says Dev. And he storms off. ITV Stefan, though, thinks this is hilarious. So, <laughs> the, the, white, the white man entitlement just train just keeps rolling on. In this show this week, as long as my son is getting what he needs from this relationship, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. He said that. He said that (laughs) to Dev's face. Mm -hmm. I would not have been as cool as Dev in that situation. That man would no longer have a face. In an Asian restaurant. (laughs) Just to make it worse. Later. (gasps) ITV Corey. Who disappointingly doesn't have black eyes after uh, Addy punched him in the face, meets Asha and Roy's roles and tells her that Dev has talked his parents into cutting her off so she'll have to go running back home. Uh, Which, what? That that doesn't seem the way that that conversation went. No, it's it's an unusual take. Right, yes. Asha is furious, packs her things and storms off while ITV Corey works in his shit-eating grin. And at home, Asha unloads onto Dev, who's heard it all before. Yeah, you hate me, says, you wish I was dead, blah-de-blah-de-blah. But you're home where you belong, so I win, you lose, deal with it. 
She says that she'd rather sleep on a park bench, so deal with that. And she storms out where ITV Corey thinks this is hilarious. He's sorted an alternative, but Dev's not going to like it. Mm. And it turns out that ITV Stefan has taken over Nick and Leanne's flat now. And so ITV Corey and Asha live there. It looks so weird. It does. I've got that written down. It looks so weird. It looks so weird without that whole Nick running man frame mm-hmm. thing in the background. <laughs> what happened to the Nick running man? <laughs> why would you change it? <laughs> why? Why, why, well, why the, would you take that <laughs> to, to uh, go well, to your little hideout? Remember, there was and like why, a there was like a there was like a um throwaway line last oh yes, week somebody, somebody said yeah. that they, they emptied the flat right. and why would they empty the flat if they thought they were coming back so i can kind of understand some of the personal stuff going but even the impersonal stuff is gone mm-hmm. like the there are, there's like one cup and one plate on the open shelving right but strangely, when the flat's been empty, it seems that the rose gold from Maria's flat's been kind of moving through osmosis <laughs> over the landing and starting to creep into, <laughs> creep into their flat. Yes, because rose gold is a form of mould. So I'm rhymes. told. <laughs> it's a sight to behold. How bold. <laughs> you know, I was going through the alphabet and I stopped on B. Really? Because you After were, long you were counting more than one finger. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So, Dev isn't happy about this and upset. He says that uh, she's round the corner, but might as well be miles away. He hopes that she's happy. And he leaves, and Asha thinks that she preferred it when he was angry. ITV Corey says that he'll take care of her from now on, whatever that means. Ugh. On Monday, and it's ridiculous to see the two of them living where Leanne and Nick were. Yes. Asha's keen to continue to work hard and have friends over to do their homework and prove to her dad that, um, that she's responsible and she's. Right, yes. And all that sort of stuff. ITV Which Corey, more though, power to her. ITV Corey, though, is into gaming. What a surprise. And it yeah. looks like he'll be dosing about on the sofa all day. Yeah, so, surprise. So Asha goes round to Royal Rolls to spill all this to Nina. Nina has concerns, but Asha thinks that she and ITV Corey are ready for it. Then Kelly the Chin comes in and they arrange to study at Asha's later, although Kelly the Chin doesn't seem all that keen on the idea. Asha is thrilled that she gets to see people that Dev never stopped her from seeing in the first place. Right, yeah. And I guess Asha's right to point out, well, you're moving in with Seb, but Seb's moving in to Roy's house. Right, he's moving into her room, basically. Right, and also... Nina is older and more mature than Asha. And Seb, who has his faults, is not ITV Corey. Right. So Yasmin catches up with Dev and airs her concerns about Asha and ITV Corey. She sees coercive behaviour everywhere. She sees it in Goldfish, she says, which was great. <laughs> but worries about Asha and urges Dev not to give up on her, not to let her isolate herself. Stay in touch, she says. I thought it was quite brave of the show to... Reminders of how close this is to the Tim's dad Right, kind of behavior. yeah Absolutely Dev takes this advice and goes round to the flat Pretending that he's proud of her for having a flat And he's brought some provisions for her Non-luxury crisps, bacon rashers Oh my god, what a slap in the face that was hmm. He tells her to remain true to herself Not to just be someone's girlfriend And this nice wee moment comes to an end When ITV Corey comes back 
Dev leaves, quite pleased to see Asha happy, as ITV Corey and Asha argue about whether Eli or Kelly the Chin get to come round later, or if they have uh, a night in on their own. And when Dev is gone, ITV Corey makes it clear that he doesn't want to see him every time he gets home. Almost like, your dad's not welcome here. Right, yeah. Go fuck yourself. Right. But when Mary comes round later with her draft excluded in the shape of a doggy woggy, ITV Corey couldn't be more charming and invites her to stay for a takeaway from Speed Dial because it turns out everything Dev brought over was past its sell by date. <laughs> Which is. <laughs> makes perfect so sense. So Dev. It's so Dev. Mary takes little convincing and then proceeds to order the entire menu. <laughs> so Mary and Asha pick up the meal and bump into Addy and Dev on the way back. Addy thinks that ordering takeout when Dev took over food is throwing shade in his face, which is a very good point. Mm. But Dev lets it go, and when Addy questions why Mary is so chuffed with the Asha ITV Corey thing, Dev says that like him, Mary is playing the long game. Right, and Mary winks at Dev, Mm -hmm. which was nice. So when Mary goes after the the meal Mm -hmm. and everything, ITV Corey drops the pretense and calls Mary a minging moose. Yeah. How fucking dare you? Seriously. Go jump off the building. Oh. Do you know I thought you were going to go fuck yourself? No, you didn't. <laughs> so to speak. Despite it it this, required something stronger than fucking himself. Asha, Although he can go do that too. Despite this, Asha has had a wonderful day and thanks ITV Corey for his support. Also, Kelly the Chin has dandruff. <laughs> what? Because she was there, then she had to leave to buy Auntie Dandruff shampoo. Right. Which is a really weird detail. I think I'm, she was joking. Was it? Yeah, I don't think she was meant to be taken seriously there. That's a strange thing to say. Ash and ITV Corey are getting ready to leave for the day. They share some confusing banter, this is Friday morning, about the establishment of a kitty in the house. <laughs> to save for household expenses on one hand, but then Asha really wants a feeling. In fact, she wants two. Don't. Just don't. It's the way to ruin. It's, says the man who has four cats. And this is speaking from experience. <laughs> Two of which he's responsible for. Out of, out of guilt. <laughs> over a situation that I had nothing to do with. Right. Uh, to help a co-worker you no longer speak to. No. In passing, ITV Corey sees Kelly the Chin in the community garden and she takes a piss out of him about being an old married man with talk of kittens and meter readings. She used to fancy him a bit when he had a bit of a bad side. He points out that she's on her own on a bench in a metaphorical community garden and he's off to plan a rave at the flat, something that home ownership affords him. So get it right up, you. And he that's doesn't as far own as we that get with home. That. No. His and not, nor does his dad. His dad just pays the rent on it. Right. His dad's just renting. I... Can they just decide on a personality for Kelly and stick to it, please? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think. It, it, of all of the things that made me furious this week. This is the thing that made me the most furious because we were really rooting for Kelly the Chin. She's got a nice, stable foster home now. Is that a thing now? With good people. I think that's a thing now, Yeah, yeah. And then she just, she doesn't call Imran out by name, but she says her her doddering old foster father Mm -hmm. finds it exciting to change the batteries 
in the remote. And it's like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. How dare you besmirch the name of Imran in this way? It makes me feel that all that pleasantness and yeah. and uh, getting on the good side that Imran and right. Toya was all bullshit. Yeah, which it didn't feel like bullshit at the time. It didn't. No. No, it didn't. But I liked that. I liked that version of Kelly yeah, the Chin. I like that version like of. I don't like this version. No, no, I don't either. Because this version is even worse than the first version. Right. Yeah. And it's the like, first version, she was just worried about her dad, and she was doing questionable things at a right. party. But she wasn't. I yeah, because I think she? she had a fence. Yeah, well, I think that she did that thing at the party, you know, sharing Ash's nude video. Mm-hmm. Because she did have a thing for Corey. Right. Uh, but it seemed like she really had the wool pulled off of her eyes with how ITV Corey is and everything. But then again, with the whole drug thing, she told Seb to steer clear of this guy because he deals drugs and drugs are bad and she wouldn't That's ever right. do drugs. That's and right. then what happened? She did drugs. That's right. So they need to... Find a personality that works and stick with it Mm -hmm. instead of flip-flopping this poor girl, this poor actor who has to play a different personality. Every scene that she's in. Every scene that she's in, (laughs) which makes it difficult for the audience to establish a rapport and a relationship with the character one way or the other. Yeah, I'm still giving her the benefit, but it's, it's not easy now. No, it's not good. It's not good at all. No, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> Stick with the character that gives us more Toya and Imran. Yes. Whichever that is. Yes. If that's you being a horrible character, but it gives us more Toya and Imran, then that's... We can accept yeah. that. We got no Toya or Imran this week. No. And we are not happy about it. <laughs> more, uh, more time for Georgia and Charlie, please. Our final storyline today is <sighs> the ITV Corey story again. No. No. It's Peter's liver and other stories. <laughs> on Wednesday, number one, Carla observes that for a married couple, they're not spending much time together. Yeah, yeah. I've just remembered too. In comes Steve, who is keen to get stuck in a new jigsaw of the Alhambra, a thousand pieces. Amy and Tracy also get involved, if you can believe it. This is not the start of married life that Carla was expecting. Now, Mr. B's tweets that I, I see on, on Twitter, a Corey fan from Glasgow, uh-huh. made the point, somebody's got to build those jigsaws. Yes. In various stages of completion. Right. It blew my mind. <laughs> it's like the scene in the bloopers show when right. somebody bumped into the, the shelf at the corner shop and everything uh-huh. fell off. Right. If it's somebody's job to put them all back on again. Right. But put them all back on again. Exactly in, in how the they right were. Place. Right. <laughs> Holy shit, that blew my mind as well. But the yeah. jigsaw thing, <laughs> that's somebody's job. Somebody has to build that up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, she comes around later in Ronnie's white coat when it's just Peter in the house. She remarks that Nina has been showing off some <laughs> sexy Victorian undies while Peter quietly reads Ronnie's his paper. White coat. <laughs> Imagine if that really was Ronnie's coat. Like Ronnie's wandering about going, what the fuck's my coat got? So yes, about Nina's uh, sexy Victorian undies that she's making at the factory. I'm wearing them, she says. And then she gives Peter a flash. Peter 
stops reading the paper. <laughs> so he and Carla are getting their hole on the living room floor, <laughs> I guess, when an unprepared Steve comes in and gets an eye full. And it's the it makes the most muppety muppet face of all time. And three muppet noises. But he goes, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, ha, ah, oh. Mm. <laughs> And I don't know, do you think that was Carla's head? Yes. Or was it a prosthetic head? Because it seemed to move very, in a way that would break somebody's back or neck, I think. I never even, it never even occurred to me that that could be a prosthetic head and now that's all I can think about. It's like a head on a stick. I think it was a head on a stick. So, no. so Steve comes back later, quite embarrassed by it all, and a little put out to see that Peter and Carla, now dressed again, couldn't really give a fuck. <laughs> They're too high on life. They Carla, in particular, it's like, she don't care. She's an adult. Right, That's yeah. fine. Like you've never seen boobs before, Steve. <laughs> right. Or floof. <laughs> right. Then later, Carla comes round with more good news. She's rented the flat above streetcars so they can move out of this hellhole with Steve. <laughs> Then Peter gets a call from the transplant people. They've only gone and got him a liver. What? And no one knows where Ruby is. <laughs> Everything is coming up, Peter. What a day. You alright? Poor Ruby. <laughs> Between smoking a cigar and, and getting her liver stolen. Yep. So... But what a day. Getting his hole, getting a new flat, getting a new liver. Mm-hmm. And doing some good uh, work on that jigsaw. So on Friday, Peter's in hospital getting nice and comfy and settled in for his transplant. A tattooed custodian comes in to empty bins that are already empty and eyes up Peter suspiciously before leaving. Yeah. Peter tries to call Simon, but it's unobtainable. It's still unobtainable, Peter. Stop phoning that right, number. Right, yeah. Carla has arrived and pointedly gets and responds to a text from Ken while Peter starts to worry about whose liver he's about to have jammed in him. Carla doesn't want any of that kind of talk. She's looking forward to them starting uh, a new life when all this is over, which was a little bit ominous, but never mind. So Sarah is shouting at Lily to get out of the house uh, back on the street, and while she's distracted by that, along comes creepy fucker Sharon, who puts (laughs) the worm in Sam's ear about Peter's liver and how uh, Simon should know uh, this has happened his dad right. and maybe Sam could tell Nick and Nick can pass it on Right. in the wee flat Leanne is back with a wedding gazette it seems they're not so far away after all Nick chooses this moment to reveal and that we have a corny flakes or something Right. corny something cereal on the back crisped rices corny flakes Nick chooses this moment to reveal that he's heard from Sam about Peter and thinks that Simon should know, but Leanne is frantic with worry that this call has come through. It's too dangerous. You weren't supposed to do this, Nick. (laughs) Leanne is the only sensible person here. Right. And uh, Leanne's reaction is absolutely deserved, right? Right, absolutely. We're not so far away. Simon mustn't know. He'll only worry. And of course, Simon is at his door and overhears all of this. Back at the hospital, Peter passes on a message for Simon if he doesn't make it. It's not a very good message, and Carla could probably come up with something better in the spur of the moment if she needed to. Right. Bottom line, he loves Simon. Yes, he's trying to write it down and he keeps scribbling things out. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you pause? I did. What did it say? 
Uh, oh, it was it was basically that I I love you and uh, I know that I've always been a letdown <laughs> and I've always done things wrong. Score that out, then basically write the same thing down again. Right. It wasn't a great letter. No. It wasn't great said out loud. No. Carla disregards immediately. Yes. So later, Leanne tells Nick to ditch that phone and then goes to wake Simon, agreeing that he needs to know about Peter and maybe there's something that DS Beardy can do to pass on a message or something. But Simon's already fucked off. Back on the street, Jenny goes into the cabin and is surprised to see Sharon there, who's putting in a couple of hours before heading off for a, a cancer appointment that she's got. She's got some... What, what do they call it? She says her name of it, because it's not a cancer appointment, it's a, it's a follow-up. Yeah. It's a follow-up. Cancer follow-up appointment. Jenny was about to leave 30p on the counter that she owed Rita, but decides that yeah, she'll keep a hold of that and just text Rita instead. Oh, I thought she gave it to her and said she was going she to didn't. text her because uh, Sharon opens the till and puts something in the till. I don't think so. Yeah. Later, Carla is dealing with yet another message from Ken when bold as brass in walks Simon into the hospital. Then it turns out that Sharon isn't going to the hospital. She's going to the prison to tell Harvey the good news that Simon is on his way. She has no doubt. And Harvey is thrilled at the news and is still under the assumption that if Simon is dealt with, his problems go away. But Sharon's joy and relief is short-lived as when she's leaving the prison, guess who's arriving? Johnny. No. No. Jenny. Jenny. (laughs) Sharon. Sarah. Jenny. Shona. (laughs) When you said... Sam. It's definitely not Ruby. When you said hospital appointment, I thought you meant hospital, says Jenny. Not prison. What the fuck are you playing at? And she claims to have been uh, mentoring a prisoner on the down low, but Jenny remains unconvinced. Who is it? What's it about? Maybe Johnny knows them. And Sharon winks, saying that it's confidential. Uh Uh-huh. Back at the hospital, Simon reveals that no one knows that he's there and he was worried that he was going to miss Peter going in for the op. Being in hiding is boring, but everything is okay. You'd often say that, that being in hiding is kind of boring. Right. Peter promises to help him get his life back in order once this is all uh, done and dusted, but then Peter's transplant guy comes in with some bad news. Uh-oh. Ruby's liver isn't viable, <laughs> which I think is code that they dropped it. Simon rushes out past the tattooed custodian who's doing some suspicious mopping, and then by Carla. She calls on him and he explains that they dropped the liver and now it's covered in fluff and so it's no use. The janitor makes a call and takes a photo of Simon. Later, Peter plays it down to Simon and Carla, saying that this will give him a chance to get fitter. Now let's get Simon back into hiding, but Simon refuses. Peter tells him that they both need to do the sensible thing here and he needs to go back. So Simon agrees, while Carla goes off to get the car. And as they hug, Simon must slip his address into Peter's pocket. Yes. Back at the flat, Leanne is frantic and wants to call the police, but Nick talks her out of it because if they get involved, they'll probably have to move further away. Why? Why not get the police involved? The police, that's the right thing to do is get the police involved. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, he inadvertently lets it slip that he's been in contact with Sam again. Uh, Look, I said I'm sorry, he says. (laughs) He wants to sit tight, trust that Simon is with Peter and just wait for him to come back don't understand why they didn't go further in the first place, except, of course, plot. Right. Back at the hospital, Simon leaves and the Janny gets back on the phone and Peter, who's seen Simon out, overhears him talking about Simon and shouts at Simon to run! It's Barlow! <laughs> B for Barlow! The janitor says really, really loudly, 
Because apparently in order to catch Simon, they need to know how to spell his name. (laughs) What was that? This is what happened to me. I'm breaking Corey News. What the fuck was that? <laughs> they couldn't use his Morse code to <laughs> to convey this message. <laughs> so, Peter. Peter uh, shouts on Simon to run. The goon lamps Peter and then gives chase. Uh, and then we see back on the street, Sharon drops in to see Jenny at the Rovers, presumably to judge how much she's fucked it. It's a lot. When Sharon nips out to take a call, Jenny sends Daisy, because Daisy's in it this week, Yay! to eavesdrop. Daisy, being Daisy, doesn't want to, but eventually agrees. And outside, Sharon is snarly at the janitor on the phone uh, to get that Barlow kid found, but pretends to be on another call when she spots Daisy hanging around. Daisy can't report back on anything other than Sharon acting all shady like C. And Jenny knows that she's up to something and is determined to find out. Then Carla gets back from uh, getting the car to the to the entrance to the hospital and she finds out that Peter's fucked off somewhere. And she finds out from a nurse that he's gone off for a scan for his head injury. And Carla worries that she's stepped through a wormhole and into another dimension <laughs> where Peter's years of rampant alcohol abuse has given him a napping on the noggin. Simon gets back to the flat and explains how he nearly got caught and how the baddies hurt Peter. This is all my fault, says Nick. No fucking kidding, says Leanne, and she orders him to get rid of the sim and uh, the sim from the phone, which she throws into the bin, which is still traceable. You need to break it. Well, he seemed to, like, break the phone. Who knows? But, the, yeah, they need to leave that sim card somewhere else. So I'm thinking that this hideaway is on Rosamond Street. <laughs> It's not far enough away. No. And this is totally unbelievable. Later. And they have Nick's car. <laughs> they need to get far enough away where nobody's going to recognize Nick's car. Or hear that car. <laughs> Later, Peter is back in the hospital bed again. He's blaming himself for everything, but Carla explains that Simon had to see him and suggests waiting on the results of the scan before jumping into any massive blame party pit. Then Peter's transplant guy comes back in. Uh, Peter needs to stay in for a couple of days for observation. And oh, by the way, we don't give out our livers to the kind of people who get in fights with fake janitors. Okay, says Carla. Now we can jump into the massive blame party pit. Why did you get involved? Peter says that he would do it again. Then Ken calls again. Fucking hell. And Carla goes off speaking to him, trying to explain what's been happening. While Peter looks at a piece of paper with Simon's address on it. And that's how we end this week's episodes. So... Harvey's goons are going to get that piece of paper, right? Presumably. And they're not going to move out of that flat, even though they've already been compromised. Presumably. And they're not going to call the police and let the police know. Presumably not. And why the hell didn't Peter say, yes, I want to speak to the police because they need to protect my son, because that's really the only way I can protect my son right now is talk to the police. Mm -hmm. And if he did that, then he'd still be on the... freaking list because this you know high and mighty idiot who's like nope nope you got into a fight which 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 he didn't which which he didn't and he doesn't explain he's like oh well i just it was winding the guy up winding the guy up so and so you don't deserve to live because you wound a guy up yeah that sounds 
Peter's Accurate. taking the fall for something that, that wasn't his fault. Right. Something that he didn't do to something that has basically shown up <sighs> the poor security of the hospital when right. a guy is in there pretending to be a custodian. Right. Yeah. What isn't. the hell? We're what kind of he- skipping over all of that. Right. Or does Harvey have people working as janitors in hospitals? And what? There's like nobody there. Is the lover guy thing, working for Harvey? There's like nothing. Nobody does anything. There's nobody else in that hallway. I think. They can't call security. Hospitals have security for a reason. The way that this is all kind of just hurtled out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, we started off. Oliver dies and Leanne is depressed and not leaving the house and Simon is trying to keep everything running and is low on money and doesn't feel like he can speak to anybody so starts delivering drugs. Then the guy that he's delivering drugs with is skimming from the top. The big kingpin has taken far too much interest in any of this operation right? and disposes of the, um, the, the drug guy, elevating right. Simon to a position that he doesn't want. Right. And now doesn't really need because his mum has come back, right. sort of thing. So then that all escalates to where Leanne is now involved in this and she's delivering right. drugs and, and we're kind of, okay, well, okay, we, we can we can go with this, I guess. And then she's now an informant for the police. Oh, well, that took a turn. Right. And now... Uh, there's this big sting operation that that fucks up, but somehow manages to to catch the big kingpin guy. Right. And now we've gone off into hiding, and and all this is because Simon was trying to take care of the house and and his mother. And I, I kind of see where for a while this was reasonably believable and dramatic, but it's getting to a point now where. With the in hiding thing and the the compromise thing and nobody telling the police anything, that and Harvey's insistence that if he can get rid of Simon and he can get out of jail, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. No, it really doesn't. And it's just been let to to destroy itself. And it was a it was a decent storyline before mm-hmm. we had the, the team Simon thing that right that was yeah. kind of fun for a while. Yeah. But then where we are now is so far removed and so exaggerated from that. Yeah. And I mean, it's a soap opera. It's right. It's to be exaggerated. Uh, what sucks is that I am starting to agree with the people who keep complaining that the show is too dark now and that they miss the good old days where people used to die of hair dryers. <laughs> right. Because they kind of have a point. It's just like one dark storyline after another. There's no joy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's death. It's this show has been Ozarked. <laughs> it's going that way. The show has been Ozarked. It's just lucky that we have a 7 p.m. time zone so that we're not getting, you know, blood and gore <laughs> and, and sex and literal boobies. Oh, there's literal boobies in Ozark? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, because uh, the girl with the spaghetti hair runs the um, the strip joint for Jason Bateman's character. Uh, but After the original guy gets blown away by those crazy people who grow heroin. It's Look at what has to happen to expand the storyline beyond Harvey 
getting arrested and Leanne and Nick going into hiding. We've had to bring back Sharon. Mm-hmm. She's had to... Who is inexplicably Harvey's aunt. She's had to groom Sam. Very quickly. All that has had to happen to support this poor idea to extend the storyline beyond its uh, natural end. Right. We've had to get Peter involved in this and his transplant has had to get involved in this now to support this. To support the silence that's allowing this thing to continue on into next week. Because phoning the police and sending Nick and making sure that that guy never gets his hands on a fucking phone ever again, send them further away to ensure that they're, they're safe, that could have all happened if someone had phoned or spoken to DS Beardy. And I'm kind of surprised that nobody is, maybe even in passing, outside the house or the flat that they're currently in. Mm-hmm. If this is such a massive kingpin and is such a big deal to get rid of, then we can afford to put at least some manpower on it to make sure that these witnesses are safe. Right. Rather than just leaving them with their own devices where, where well, Simon can basically jump on maybe two buses right. to get back into the main Coronation yeah. Street set again. Right. And in fairness, I don't know how much DS Beardy, or as I like to call him, DS McDreamy, knows about this. Because remember, Leanne just buggered off. So they kind of have to know where she is. You would think that she would at least be smart enough to get in contact with them. But the whole Nick somehow slipping Sam his new number. Well, I think he probably managed to phone Sam. Right. But it just, it shows a level of irresponsibility that, again, seems counterintuitive to Nick's character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything that's been having is happened to support this. To, to give this at least some elevation as to something that is reasonable to happen. The, the smaller things that have to change or to have to be developed or have to return after 22 years to keep this right. stupid story And then up. inexplicably be related to the drug kingpin yeah. with a brother. It's way too much. That nobody knew about. Because, I mean, you'd think Sharon being in foster care... Back in the day, they would have said something about a brother. Hmm. I don't know. Who knows? That was Coronation Street this week. (laughs) And it's just... It was good last week. Yeah. I don't foresee it getting any better in the next month, though. No, I think the... uh, I think things are just going to get more Ozarked next week. Your moment of the week? Steve walking in on Carla and Peter. Yeah. (laughs) It's got to be. And all the Muppet faces he makes. That's uh, our moment of the week. Uh, your boring moment of the week. Ken constantly calling Carla. Oh, God, give it a break, Ken. Seriously. I mean, I understand that it's meant to, you know, keep Ken somehow in the show and also to show aspects of his personality of being, you know, the old Daniel. <laughs> right. But. I, that was funny. It. It was funny until it was not funny anymore. It got to a point where it was just like, all right, okay. Yeah. You've taken this joke farther than... Maybe two two steps too far. Yes. Maybe three would have been good. Maybe nine was a little bit too many. Yeah. Yeah. That's our... Boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? <sighs> yes, please. You don't want to talk about the ITV Corey storyline a little bit more? No. Okay. Don't have dandruff. Have great looking hair. 
get in touch to find out how. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we are at Cory Podcast on Gavin's Twitter. an expert on hair. Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I somehow have no hair and dandruff. You can shake me and hell on the coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and youtube channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on itunes or on your podcast provider of choice thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more talk of the street street.